Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys. That's yeah. <laughs> They have asked for that. Really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Hello and uh, welcome to Second Captain Football. Murph here sitting in for Owen who's uh, on his holidays and in his absence, Ken, Man City are now the champions elect. Last night's 4-0 win over Aston Villa uh, effectively handing them the title unless Andy Carroll, Sunday afternoon, West... West? Nah. No. He's not gonna, is he? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think the problem... Repay all that money that Liverpool spent on him? No, I don't think it's, I don't think it's gonna happen. I mean, I think um, old Kevin Nolan was, was uh, you know, I don't know, people gave an interview recently where people were suggesting he'd always dreamt of scoring the goal that won Liverpool the league title and now he had the chance to, to do that. But now the fact that Manchester City only need to draw um, against West Ham, a team who they've already really ripped up a couple of times this season Um, I think uh, I think means that we can congratulate Manchester City on a on a league title well won yeah I was even saying this on Tuesday that if they had drawn you know they needed four points if they had drawn last night then I could see the pressure getting to them on Sunday afternoon but given the way that Monday night went I think yesterday's game became a lot easier from a Man City point of view and uh, I think you know, once the first goal went in last night, I think it was pretty much uh, done and dusted at that stage. But we must keep an eye on developments outside the Premier League, of course, uh, mm-hmm. as well. So we'll hear from Tim Vickery in Rio about Big Phil Scolari's Brazil squad announcement, uh, which has been greeted, Ken, with widespread mutterings of, uh, that's not actually that bad of a squad, on the, uh, on the streets of uh, the host nation of this summer's uh, World Cup. But you look down through the names and it's, it's, it doesn't look, like a Brazil squad, really. It doesn't look like the sort of squad that you would expect to see from Brazil. In that How you would you expe- well, you would expect to see six or seven really brilliant attacking players. Yeah, you know, superstars effectively, or guys bubbling under that level. And really, the only guy that they have that really sets the pulses racing is is Neymar. Yeah, Neymar. I mean, the strikers that you're talking about are, are Bernard from Shakhtar, 
Um, he's, he's not really a striker. He's more of a, a winger, a tiny little dribbly guy. In fairness, good player, exciting player. Um, Fred, Fredji. Yeah, I should say if I was trying course, to, yeah. but I can't. I can't. I'm just going to call him Fred and Joe. Um, <laughs> it is quite strange that three of them have fr- just basically English first names. Yeah, Fred, Joe, and Hulk, uh, or Hulky, I think is what Tim Vickery would uh, would call him. But I'm going to call he him. He always Hulk. gives us a crash course on Brazil footballer pronunciation. So we will hear from him later. Now the thing about that is uh, Fred may not be individually the best. Um, Striker, although, you know, I mean, he in, there's a kind of a. I remember talking to Tim about him before, and he was saying, "Look, you don't re- maybe you don't realize Fred is a really big star in Brazil. You know, they kind of they love him. He's a legendary party animal who has recently found uh, Christ. Oh, he's been turning up at uh, one of the evangelical churches in in Rio um, with his with his fellow brothers in Christ, which is great. It's it's always good to see people finding a higher purpose in, in their life. A Damascene conversion on the way to the yeah. World Cup in 2014. On the way, I mean, what what we can see from Fred on the field is that he has got a great relationship with Neymar and it's kind of a, it seems like an, almost the big brawny uncle with his with his precocious nephew who he, you know, really gets Indulgious. on well with. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's the kind of relationship they have. Rather different from Neymar's dynamic with Lionel Messi at Barcelona, which is not quite as um, positive, let's mm. say. I mean, there's, there's uh, maybe there's, there's a couple of rivalry issues there, which aren't really. There. But Fred, Fred is like, I'm here to help you. That's my job is to try and make you look good, and it's something which he is able to do. So Scalari's going for this team, um, packed with strong, um, you know, muscular players, which I think is is what you would expect from Brazil. You know, over the last twenty, thirty years that has tended to be what their teams are really all about. Just a lot of really big, powerful guys who can also play. And, yeah, we'll talk to Tim, I guess, in a bit more detail about yeah, that. But uh, before we get into all that, the Irish women's football team had a very disappointing result uh, last night, losing 3-1 to Russia, which would... That was uh, at home, which would have been seen as basically the pivotal game uh, in their 2015 World Cup qualifying group, Ken. Yeah. And, yeah, it was disappointing. I mean, the Russian team is... Uh, you know, they're all professionals... Uh, which isn't the case with the Irish team. And um, from people who were there last night said to me that really it was clear from the beginning that it was going to be a tough game for the Irish team, you know, the the kind of ball control, the technique of the Russian players. And then the... Ireland had a heartbreaking defeat to Germany, who are seen as one of the best teams in the world in their last game. Yeah. So they would, there would, in fairness, there would have been a lot of hope that that was 3-2 uh, goal in the last minute that Germany beat Ireland by. Against a team that had won their previous games by an average score of 8-0. Yeah, five, five games, I think, by an average score of scored 40, conceded 0. Or maybe it was scored 48. Yeah, I think um, 48 or something like that. 48 or 49 goals. Really, really quite scary. But Russia, anyway, beat us 3-1. Um, but there was at least a bonus for the Irish women's team in, the form, that. in the form of a pep talk after the game from Ireland assistant manager Roy Keane, who was at the game. Uh, oh. Stephen Doyle of 98FM spoke to Ireland's goalkeeper and captain Emma Byrne uh, after the game about that, uh, that visit from Keane. Saskia, finally, I believe Roy Keane was in having a word. What did he say to you? <laughs> well, he actually made us feel a little bit worse. 
he came in and he was trying to be positive, but then he was like, you just can't give away the goals you get you conceded and it's just not good enough, basically. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he's very honest uh, and we knew he was, but, you know, he's cutting, so I suppose we needed to hear it. Is that a good thing, though, do you think, maybe for, for I suppose, you as a skipper with all the experience, you know, you've probably dealt with these situations before, but maybe for some of the younger members of the squad to show them that there is standards to be met. Oh, yeah, I mean... We're very harsh on ourselves anyway, and I certainly don't hold back, and um, neither does Sue. So I think the team has been brought up on a, you know, they've been brought up hard, so they'd be well used to that. And, and they always know that they need to look at themselves before anyone else, and they'd be harsh on themselves. So Roy was just echoing everything everyone was thinking anyway. I suppose nice though as well, like he is taking interest in Oh, yeah, it's brilliant. And brilliant we're, we're delighted we didn't even know he was there I and mean, that might have been if we'd have known before the game we probably would have played better <laughs> mm. yeah. okay so that's okay I think that's good is it probably though? good I'm not just reinforcing the message that standards necessarily have to be high and on this occasion the Irish women's team fell short hopefully the next time they can do a bit better mm. Fingers crossed. Well, uh, let's get into Ken Early's report on sport. Um, in other Ireland news, uh, Kieran, it's pretty good news for David Myler, who um, was involved in an incident with Adnan Yanazai at uh, Old Trafford yeah. on Tuesday night, in which he ended up, the facts of it are, s- stepping on the shin of little Yanazai and apparently opening him up uh, like a gooded fish. Not... I, I stress the, the, the actual Long belly and body the, there, inner, yeah. inner organs of the other side, but rather his shin bone, which according to Ryan Giggs was in a terrible state and Giggs appealed to referees to, he needs protection, the lad needs protection. And this didn't look good because it's, it looked rather as though David Myler, with Hull being in the FA Cup final, maybe was going to face a retrospective yeah. suspension. This would have been terrible. Uh, it really, really would have been. Um and luckily, it's not going to happen because the referee apparently said that he saw the incident, didn't think that it was a deliberate snap. And I actually agree with him, notwithstanding the the um, awful injuries to Yanazai that Giggs was talking about. Um, it's part of watched, the cut and trust of Premier League football, Ken. Well, I, I, I didn't really didn't think it was a deliberate stamp. I mean, no, I, didn't, watch, I don't. I have don't you think seen it? Was. Yeah, I have seen it. Yeah, and I, 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 I definitely, I, I don't think that there was enough to look back on. Say, right, the referee has actually made a. Yeah. has made a, a big mistake here. We need to take action retrospectively. I mean, it was one of those where Myler and Yanis are, are tussling for a ball. Myler's sort of got the advantage. I mean, he's obviously up, he's about twice the size of, of Yanis Um And he's trying to shield the ball. And Yanis is kind of, you know, quite tenaciously um, trying to get around the back of him. Uh, and Myler, the ball essentially is there. Myler is going to plant his foot the far side of the ball to brace himself to block Yanisai off. But Yanisai managed to wriggle around him and actually, with incredibly, he's he's moving a lot quicker. I mean, mm. he's okay. He's got a lot quicker feet than, than David Myler. Maybe Myler's got the strength and power. Maybe Yanisai's got a little bit more of the foot speed. Mm. Uh, but that uh, more than one way to be a Premier League footballer. There's certain yeah. There's a, there's a couple of ways, and maybe Myler and Yanisai would be a great uh, partnership together in the field. Who knows? Mm. On this occasion, Yanisai's lightning feet managed to wriggle in underneath Myler's big powerful studs uh, really honestly I think that Myler was trying to put his foot down and the shin of Yanazai materialises there just as that foot is, is yeah. coming down and uh, with, with unfortunate consequences yeah because it is, it is actually quite annoying that Shane Long isn't going to be able to uh, play a part in the FA he's obviously cup mm. tight um, mm. so won't be able to play for Hull City in the FA Cup final but 
you know, you can kind of, uh, you know, have a bit of a laissez-faire attitude towards the FA Cup or a dismissive attitude rather towards the FA Cup final. Yeah. This is a huge, huge game for David Marley. This is the biggest game he'll have ever played in. Yeah. Um, and so for him to miss out on sort of retrospective refereeing decision that, that would have been, ruined the whole season yeah it would have been pretty terrible where do you think Myler is in the Irish setup? well he's got to be really well placed now I guess because I mean I think he's had a very good season you look at James McCarthy he's our number one midfielder now um, but then after that I think it's it's up to uh, it's up to the others I don't think there's a set hierarchy beyond McCarthy yeah maybe Wes Houlihan I'm not sure if, if Wes Houlihan's going to be a a regular under Keenan O'Neill, who knows? Um, Just Gibson, obviously, to come back in from the last seven yeah, months. Yeah, in, well. in what in what condition? Who knows? I mean, Myler's been through what Gibson's going through at the moment twice. He's already busted his knee twice, and now he seems to be um, he seems to be in good shape. So, yeah, uh, good news for him. Anyway, the, there was also a story a couple of days ago. I think possibly the day of our, our last program, maybe it was the day after that, where Daniel McDonnell uh, of the Independent had spoken to Kevin Foley. Kevin Foley, remember, was bombed out of the Ireland squad during Euro mm. or just before Euro 2012, and was not happy. Has never spoken about exactly what happened before. Um, had had, according to this interview that he'd done with Dan, talked about you know, people have asked him to talk about it, and he just kind of thought, no, best thing is just not to say anything. But at some point, eventually, you're going to have to say something about it. Two years later, he finally. Uh, <laughs> describes the extraordinary circumstances in which he found out that he wasn't going to be going. Essentially, there he is in bed on Tuesday morning, quite early. Trapattoni gets up early in the morning, you know, he's mm-hmm. a very old man. Um, and uh, he's there with Kieran Westwood, his, his roomie, and they're both having a bit of a kip, when suddenly they hear a bit of a commotion and intruders burst into the room. <laughs> Whereupon this 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 sound of blundering and muffled Italian cursing from the darkened end of the room, uh, as uh, Westy was shouting, "What's going on here?" recalls Foley, uh, laughing at the comedy of an increasingly exasperated Trapattoni cursing and muttering in the dark as he frantically ran his hands up and down the wall in search of a light switch that he couldn't find. Mm. Eventually, he does. Uh, Foley and Westwood presumably sit up in bed wondering what it is that's brought. Um, Tony Hickey, Marco Tardelli, and Giovanni Trapattoni to their bedroom so early in the morning. They had like a master key, obviously, or something. They there. did. Tony Hickey, who was the FBI security guard, had just let them in. Apparently, they had tried to call the room, but the guys hadn't answered the phone or, I don't know, taken it off the called hook. the wrong room, who knows. Mm. Um, the quote from Foley is, he's, in his typical Italian way, he's trying to explain something to me about the final list being submitted to UEFA. It takes five minutes to understand what he's actually talking about. He said something about Paul McShane. At first, I assumed it meant Maka was coming in as a 24th man in case me or John O'Shea was injured. But at the end, he just said, I wouldn't be in his squad. <laughs> that, was how, that was how Kevin Foley found out. With Kieran Westwood, presumably sitting there in the bed on the other side of the room going, oh dear. About two or three minutes in, maybe that would have been time for Kieran Westwood to just excuse himself. I need a croissant or something. Yeah. From the breakfast buffet. Not great. Not great. Yeah. Um, he probably could have done without the... In fairness, in a situation like this, I would say that players would rather hear it first and then have to sit through the reasoning behind the decision. Yeah. Whereas five minutes of Italian in preamble. Your, in your bedroom as you rub the sleep out of your eyes. Uh, there's another bit where he, he mentions um, um, Foley. Obviously, Foley 
is kind of a bit upset and goes off and he's off by himself in, in the town of Monte Catini. Um, he's on the phone to his, uh, to his wife, you know, sort of saying, well, I'm actually going to be home sooner than expected. Um, sees a bunch of journalists out there uh, who have just found out about it as well. That's not good. Um, but he gets back and uh, finds his suitcase all packed outside his room. <laughs> oh my god! Who packed well, his suitcase? Kevin Doyle. <laughs> that was a joke. I mean, what can you do but laugh? His his suitcase was all packed up outside his door with a suit with his oh suit uh, laid out on top of it for for football. Trips, Ken. That's that's horrible. In fairness, that is. I thought that was quite it's quite nice personal touch. You know, we're thinking of you, Foles or Folesy or whatever his his nickname is. Uh, Kevin Doyle, obviously his nickname, his his nickname, his his um, his teammate from mm. uh, from Wolves at that time, um, there for him at this difficult time. Yeah, but he he mentioned also that uh, they had another they had another conversation, basically Trapattoni, where Trapattoni was saying, "Look, I'm really sorry about this." This was uh, the quote from Foley in the articles. Uh, Trapattoni's in the lobby with Tardelli. He was apologetic. Trapattoni was apologetic, which was hard to take at the time. Marco was just being typical. Marco, he wasn't sympathetic at all. Trapattoni asked me if I wanted to be on standby for Poland. I thought I wasn't sure because I was flying to England the next day. Marco butted in and said, you need to let us know now. And I was pissed off at him because he was being rude, uh, which I think would would have been quite a widespread <laughs> view of... I mean, Tardelli is a very rude man. There's no, wow. you know, let's not make any bones about it. He was very rude. Terse, that's different. difference being short and being rude, is there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he was rude. He was, he was, but I suppose it was his way. You know, he was a yeah. he was a tough tackling midfield enforcer. You know, he's not a shrinking violet, not that type of guy. Anyway, they Kevin good. Keegan standing at the standing at the buffet at the post match meal, looking around for Marco Tardelli before he dug into the pasta. Wasn't there some ridiculous story about that? Oh yeah, yeah. something along those lines. Anyway, yes, we 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 are aware of the of Tardelli's. So that was uh, that was Dan's story. It was a decent story. Yeah. Whether Kevin Foley's ever going to be back in the United squad, I don't know. He's had a few injury problems, um, but I'm sure. Uh, would it like. is a pretty distressing thing to have happen to you in your career, though. Oh, it's really humiliating. Just you know, imagine everyone's kind of looking at you. Imagine how humiliating it is. You know, that's the problem with it, really. And all for what? Like for a detail? He didn't even use half the guys in the squad. Yeah. You know, I mean, Shane Long didn't get a didn't get a minute in the US. Obviously, Shane Long's not a defender. It's not. Immediately yeah. relevant, but like he didn't use half his players. What was the point? You know, if yeah. you weren't even going to use the guys, so who cares who your twenty third option is um, when you're only going to use fifteen or sixteen anyway? Yeah, sure. Where are we? Um, okay, Manchester City um, haven't won the league yet, although Manuel Pellegrini is speaking as though they have. Um, he says, without comparing with the other teams, I was happy with the way the team played, maturity, character, personality. There are different ways to win titles. I choose this one. With attractive football, if fans enjoying the season, maybe you can win titles the other ways. But for me, the aesthetic part is very important. That's what we do the whole season. Maybe with criticism at the beginning, because we lost two or three games away. But the way we play, I'm very happy to win the title this way. <laughs> yeah. Of course I expect to Andy win the title. Andy Carroll. You know, because like, now I'm we're sorry. top of the table. Andy Carroll's best ever game for Liverpool was against Manchester City, and they beat them 3-1. Uh, he scored two goals. Um, that was in his first kind of couple of months there. Mm. I think one of his first games after the injury that he had been signed with had cleaned, had cleared up. But realistically, can Manchester City draw against West Ham at home? Yes, they can. And would Manuel Pellegrini... <clears throat> the, 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 the thing about what Pellegrini is saying here is it may sound like tempting fate, 
you know, because the players, when you look at the quotes from the players, is very much, well, we've still got another game to go. And Zabaleta and Dzeko spoke very well, I thought, after the yeah. game, actually, on Sky. You know, it's very, you know, West Ham are a wonderful team, an incredible team. You know, we they're serious, they're at the top of the, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The usual stuff that a player would say. Um, we'll do it well to keep it kicked out to them in GA parlance. Yeah, they know, they know just as well as Pellegrini. But Pellegrini, earlier this season, remember, had, although he's a guy who says he doesn't want to get involved in... Um, arguments with managers and generally doesn't he really dislikes Jose Mourinho Hmm. really really dislikes him and earlier in the season he made the point when Mourinho was coming out with this we have no chance we're only little horse Manchester City they're the big horse and Arsenal are another big you know we've got no hope Um, Pellegrini said it's you know people why would people say this well because they don't want to take responsibility for failure so the way that he uh, does it if they win, he'll take all the credit. And if they lose, it's not his fault, not his responsibility. And um, Pellegrini now knows that in this situation, if he was to pretend, well, it's all still very much up in the air, he might be contradicting himself a little mm-hmm. bit. So he might as well. You know, frankly, if his team can't at least draw against West Ham, he's going to get sacked anyway. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, there's, no, there's almost no downside risk to this. You yeah. know, he, well, I, I think you can still be cautious and not come across as a hypocrite I mean and by the way coming across as a no. hypocrite is not then, the thing that he'd lose bothers a lot of Premier League managers I've found he'd lose massively. the chance it, it certainly doesn't bother me or he'll say literally whatever it takes at that moment that's what he's saying whatever it takes um, I don't think Jose Mourinho or indeed many other Premier League managers have sort of a you know a canon of you know my previous quotes yeah. which I need to uh, there needs to be a straight line through my entire uh, sort of dealings with the media, that whole canon there, there has to be a straight line through all of that. I want to be consistent. I want to stand for something. Yeah. Uh, well, Pellegrini, Pellegrini does. And fair play to Pellegrini because, okay, he probably should have won the league. He's got the best squad. And, okay, he's achieved that target. But they've scored more goals than they did the year that they won with uh, Roberto Mancini. I think they generally look a better balanced uh, team. They, I think they play better football. Mm. Um, I mean, given the fact that Aguero, who's their best player, you know, who's their real genius in that in that team, has missed half the season, um, they've coped with that very well. It's interesting, well. though, that we haven't, and us, the media generally, haven't really spoken about City. All when you look at the narratives that are happening across the Premier Leagues, mm. across the Premier League, the City are the most uninteresting team in the, the top half of the division, really, when you think about it, yeah. or in the, say, the top six or seven. They haven't had I mean, any problems. They haven't had any, there's no. been no internal reductions. Manchester United, you know, various degrees of hilarity there yeah. involved. Liverpool, obviously, with where they've come from. Everton, uh, everybody kind of had a more... Whereas Manchester City have just been chugging along. They've actually been top of the league for 11 days, I think, in the whole mm. season. Whereas Arsenal have been top where Wenger was talking about 160 days. It's something crazy. You know, they've, they led the league for most of the league. Give that man the Premier League. <laughs> yeah. I mean, everyone's kind of looking at their uh, the reasons why they should... They're the more deserving. Yeah. Arsenal like, well, we led the league for more days than anyone. <laughs> you know, Liverpool are, are saying, uh, look at the empty seats that the Etihad. Yeah. You know, this is a disgrace. What about our fans? Yeah. Don't get any points, additional points for the fans. Unfortunately, no. Unfortunately. But yeah, basically, the point I'm trying to make is that City have the best team, have the best players, have mm. a very good manager. And have just quietly gone about their business without 
really making a mess of things at any point or getting involved in any fights or any of the things that usually people end up talking about. Yeah. And at the, at the very end... They're going to have to learn how to be a little bit more interesting, Ken, if they're going to dominate English <laughs> football for the next 20 years. Well, they could quite, quite, quite domination. It could be. You know, I mean, they, they look well set now. I mean, you'd, you'd make them favourites already to win the title uh, next season. Um, you know, that's... Uh, that's uh, that's Manchester City, but we shouldn't mention uh, Stephen Jovetic, who scored uh, last night. I mean, he's been a player who really hasn't done that much this season. Injured at the beginning and um, hasn't really established himself in the team. But a kind of sign of the quality that they have, you know, a guy like this in reserve who would be a first team player for probably any of the other title challenging teams. Um, he did show off his sponsored pants. Did he? I'm not going to mention the sponsor. You can look it up yourself if you if you want. But this is like a thing now. He kind of pulls his shorts down a bit and shows off his... To be honest, I did not out. notice that. I was looking at his tattoo, which is reasonably impressive. Which tattoo? He has I a tattoo kind of down his, uh, on his shoulder and kind of down most of the, the upper arm there. Yeah. Um, what does it show? Oh, well, just a large tattoo. I mean, to be honest, this guy needs a little bit of schooling from Nicholas Bentner on how to show off one's underpants because I didn't notice that at all. Oh really? Yeah, I didn't notice the the sponsorship. You didn't notice him him sort of uh, drawing his, his shorts down a little bit there with his with his thumbs just to show a little bit of the old. No, I, I, actually, I really didn't. Snake hips. No, um, it's. It, I mean, I you know I have seen extremely muscular men do that. Yeah. Before, so I mean, I I just presumed maybe that was part of the the deal there. I didn't. I mean, this is this is something that Neymar Neymar who is he really should be working in marketing. Because that's really, I mean, he's just, not many people are born with two uh, kind of sets of yes. extraordinary talents. I mean, Neymar is a brilliant footballer. I think probably should be a footballer when you, you know, this this is a, a rarer gift that he has than the uh, astonishing gift in marketing, hmm. which he also has. I mean, you know, I'm not quite sure whether it was him who was the prime mover behind the banana um Thing you know the Daniel yeah. Alves ate the banana and then Neymar posted a picture of he was the first one yeah but it, apparently it was kind of a preconceived idea okay. if this happens <clears throat> this is what we'll do yeah um, whether it was Neymar invented I'm not sure he did however during the Barcelona Atletico Madrid show off his underpants a number of times this is remember is a Champions League quarterfinal Barcelona against Atletico Madrid uh, Neymar has a deal with this av- uh, this underwear company five or six times during the game. He's there pulling his shorts down, not pulling all the way, but mm. pulling them down enough to, so that you can see his uh, branded uh, waistband of his of his gear. This isn't a Champions League game. Okay, the Champions League game is being shown on Globo TV in Brazil. It's got this um, massive TV audience. Obviously, Neymar is focal, focal point of interest. And he's using this as a platform to shill his merchandise. I thought that was... Pretty bad, actually. Concentrate on the game. Yeah. This is the Champions League. You know, players get absolutely crucified for uh, swapping jerseys with opponents yeah. at halftime. Yeah. I mean, this is every bit as bad. Well, I think it's much worse. Shill on your own time, Neymar. This is the Champions League time. This is this is the time where well, the money that you're making at this time is the money Barcelona are paying you. Quite a lot of money, as it yeah. happens, to focus on the game for them. You know, get the ball... See if you can spot a pass, yeah. maybe even score a goal. W- Don't be thinking, oh, you know, have I, you know, how many times have I shown it so far? You know, mm. have I, you know, should I? Mm, I've just kind of been involved in a tussle there. Maybe 
the camera's got to be on me now. You know, if he's going around picking up yellow cards just so he can do that, that's probably a bad I don't thing. know if he's good, quite good enough that he can think about both of these things uh, at the same time. The one other thing I wanted to mention was the Real Madrid. Real Madrid throwing it away. Yeah. Um, throwing it away. And they threw, they threw it away on the weekend. They've thrown it away again. Uh, drawing at Valladolid. Now, Sergio Ramos again scores. Um, he can't be stopped. But Cristiano Ronaldo injured after 10 minutes. Another hamstring injury. Now, this is the same problem that he had um, in the last uh, few weeks, mm. which resulted in him watching a lot of games from the, from the this bench. This is a problem because I want Ronaldo to win the World Cup on his own in Brazil. Well, there's a Champions League before that. Yeah. The Champions League final against Atletico Madrid, Cristiano Ronaldo has been injured uh, and there's only, what, two and a half weeks, two and a half weeks now to go to that game. Um, and Madrid only managed to draw one all. Uh, I should mention also, lastly, thank you very much to everybody who who pointed out that it was Ruben Sosa. Yes, Ruben Sosa was the partner of Dennis Bergkamp at Inter, who who With the Bergkamp, magnificent ankle strapping, as someone on Twitter pointed out to us. Bergkamp hated hated him because every time he got the ball, he just turned and ran and shot a goal. And then Bergkamp was like, "Hey, hey, I'm here too." And Ruben Sosa is like, you know muttering um, insults in Spanish. Um, they spoke to, or in Bergkamp's book, uh, David Winner, uh, who was the writer of the book with Bergkamp, spoke to Ricardo Ferry, who was like the big brawny tattooed uh, defender and sort of mm. uh, kingpin of the Inter team. Um, uh, and they said, you think, you think Dennis was too young, introverted and antisocial to become a big player he should have been? Sosa called him strange and solitary in the press, <laughs> says <laughs> Winner. Ha ha, says Perry. But it's true. It's not an insult. Ruben Sosa is a Latin American guy. Dennis is from the north. Not a Viking, but you know, really from the north. Like Yonk as well. Dennis found a nice house. He wanted to be there with his wife. We used to invite Dennis and his wife, Yonk and his wife or girlfriend. Hey, come and eat with us. Come and have dinner with us. But they never came. Never, never, never. We had a nice boat and we invited them. But Dennis was just at home in Civade. We found him cold. Everyone in the team tried, but he was cold. He didn't socialize. Salsa was the exact opposite. Very warm and friendly, simpatia, you know, funny and friendly, eating with us, singing, dancing. We'd all go over to his and have dinner and sing songs. But always without Dennis. Dennis and Young <laughs> never came. Actually, I ruined with Young for a while. I'm friendly and talkative. For some reason, they always put me with these introverts. Uh, <laughs> so that was uh, oh, well. that was what they thought of yeah. Bergkamp or kind of how they thought of Bergkamp. Well, thank you for that. Here, here ended Ken Early's report on sport. I want to book a holiday. I want the flights, the hotel, some flattering new bikinis, a big silly hat, and nice dinners in local restaurants with cute waiters. And I want. No, I have to be beach ready, so I need to be a regular saver. KBC understands spending is easy, but saving is hard. That's why we have a range of savings options with tempting rates that make savings simple, so you can save when you want and spend when you want. Visit kbc.ie, call 1-800-5152-53 or pop into any KBC hub in Dublin, Cork, Limerick and Galway. KBC, the bank of you. Terms and conditions apply. KBC Bank Ireland PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. We're joined now by Jonathan Wilson and in the aftermath of City's 4-0 win over Aston Villa last night, it's now more and more likely this will be Manuel Pellegrini's first league title in Europe. And the sense uh, from what you've been writing over the last few weeks, Jonathan, is that uh, that you're delighted for him. Yeah, I think he's a, he's a decent man who was treated pretty shabbily by, by Real Madrid. I think he's retained a, a dignity through all that. I think you've seen this season, apart from the, the unfortunate attack on Jonas Eriksson after the, the um, defeat to Barcelona... I think he's been very calm and 
has generally behaved as you'd hope a manager would behave. I mean, I guess you'd, you'd like him to kind of be slightly more forthcoming in press conferences, but you know, he, he hasn't been slagging people off. He hasn't been creating dramas off the pitch. That he you know, he wants to be judged on on the football his teams played, and and that has been been excellent. Is that nearly a reaction to Mourinho? The way you, you, we look at it from outside is that every time he says, well, I, I don't get involved in that, it's not really for me, it nearly seems as if he's winding Mourinho up more and more every time he, he talks like that. Yeah, possibly. I, I think he also plays on the language thing. I mean, he, he clearly speaks reasonably good English, but I, I think there are times when he, he allows himself to, or he forces himself to use quite a limited vocabulary so that there is no possibility of nuance being, being read into his words. And I, I think you're right. I think he... Now that he's got the upper hand over Mourinho, he, he quite, I think he probably does quite enjoy the the, the fact that um, every time he says something bland, it almost seems like a dig at Mourinho. Well, in fairness, the stuff that he was saying last night, I'm not saying he... I mean, he says, uh, without comparing to the other teams, he says, <laughs> I, I was very happy with the way the team played today with maturity, character, personality. There are different ways to win titles. I choose this one with attractive football that the fans enjoy this season. Maybe you can win titles other ways. Now, we, we all know who he's talking about there. It's not Brendan Rodgers in this instance. I, I mean, I don't have any problem with, with Manuel Pellegrini, who, remember, like, Mourinho started it, let's say. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't take any... I don't think there's any problem with him having a little bit of a gloat at a, at a time like this. But do you think... Um, what, what, I, what I really mean to ask is, do you, do you believe him when he says this? Is, has he made an important contribution to the fact that Manchester City um, have scored so many goals uh, and so on and so forth. Is it simply a fact that Manchester City have much better players than everybody else and this was always going to happen? I think it's a bit of both. I mean, it's interesting he talks about there being two ways of, of winning a title. Uh, yeah, I wonder if he's thinking back to the title he won in Ecuador back in, I think, 97 with Liga de Quito when they, they were quite a negative side. I mean, his teams that won titles in San Lorenzo and, and uh, River Plate in Argentina were attacking. But um, yeah, he, he has won it in two different ways. I, I don't think he's a sort of... Um, a fundamentalist for, for, for possession football or, or for attacking football. I think he just thinks that's the best way with the players he's got. I think he's much more pragmatic maybe than, than we give him credit for. Um, but, but you're right. I, I, you know, clearly the money has made a huge difference. Um, but that's, that's modern football. And if you're going to start talking about points gained per, per net pound spent, then you find out that Arsenal won the league for the last 10 years. And I'm not sure even Arsenal Wenger believes that anymore. Yeah, well, one thing that you could sort of say about uh, Manchester City last night, one thing that surprised me watching the match on TV um, was that there were quite a number of empty seats at the Etihad, which seemed as though, uh, well, to me, I was surprised. Here's Manchester City about to clinch, you know, only their second league title for um, nearly half a century, and admittedly their second in three years, and uh, the stadium isn't full. Yeah, that does seem odd. I mean... Um, this seemed to be. Yeah, you know, I was at the Sunderland game, so you know I, I saw the highlights later. Um, but there seemed to be sort of a discrepancy between what people were saying, whether they, they felt it was it, there was anxiety on on the part of City fans, and that's why the atmosphere was slightly flat, or whether the, already they saw lapse in the sense of entitlement. I mean, my, my the, you know the, the impression I got, as I say, just from watching watching the highlights, was that it, it was it was nerves rather than anything else. But it, it is strange that there, there are empty seats there. Maybe that says something about um, yeah the economic reality of, of, of the supposed British recovery that it, it's yeah it doesn't kind of reach down to, to people who do actually go to City games. Well, I don't know, Jonathan. Actually, because I, I mean, I mean, I was there at the Man United Man City, uh, the Man City Man United game in April 2012, 
which was the title decider, really. I mean, if Manchester City beat Manchester United that day, everybody knew they were probably going to win the title in a similar kind of situation to to this year before Liverpool had, had messed up against Crystal Palace. And the Etihad Stadium, I mean, the whole city was just talking about the game. The stadium was full to bursting. You know, there's people selling tickets for ridiculous prices. And I mean, the British recovery was, uh, you know, Cameron's recovery hadn't even really taken off at that stage. Um, uh, it seems to me that if the game is big enough, you know, if there's enough of excitement about it, people are going to end up finding the money to go to a match like that. The reality is that Manchester City winning the league again with a team that should easily win the league doesn't excite anybody. Well, up to a point, I take that. I mean, I think, you know, to, to compare this to, to the Manchester Derby uh, two years ago, yeah, that was a, an absolute epic one-off the first time City going to win the league under, under this uh, ownership, under this sort of model of football the first time in, what, 40-whatever um, years it was. Uh, against your closest rivals, I mean that that is a very different situation to to a game against a team you should beat in a in a you know in a fixture that's been rearranged from earlier in the season that's not sort of part of the schedule. Um, when you sort of have a sense after, particularly after um, what happened with Liverpool on Monday night, that um, that, you know, that, that they should win it. So I mean maybe that that slight sense of entitlement is creeping in, and I hope not because City historically haven't been a club like that. And it would be odd if they sort of flipped so quickly um, so I mean I, I don't actually I, mean, I didn't actually see what the attendance figure was as to how many people weren't there mm. um, but it, you know I mean I, I think if, if if I was City's owners I'd be sort of slightly concerned by that certainly thinking well hang on we've kept ticket prices low which, which they have done to, to give them great credit um, the, the, you know, relative to the rest of the Premier League City City's fans don't pay high prices uh, certainly given the quality of what they get to watch uh, and yet for the game where you could effectively clinch a title, you still don't sell out. Well, there was this uh, wonderful goal by Yaya Toure. He's had an amazing season and uh, finished behind Steven Gerrard in... Was the Football Writers or Players Player of the Year vote? I, I can't quite remember. Anyway, Toure scored an incredible goal. Uh, <laughs> you you, you uh, re- referred to a line by Juanma Lillo in the piece that you wrote about Pellegrini, Pellegrini today saying, we tend to judge things that uh, finish well rather than what was done well. Um but Toure's had a season in which you know, which is finishing well and has been good all throughout the season. Maybe he should have, uh, maybe he should have been a, a bigger candidate for the Player of the Year awards. I'm, I'm not sure. The interesting thing about this was that it was the cue for the City fans to launch into another chorus of this song about Steven Gerrard, in which he falls over and gives Demba by the ball. This song has been I've never seen I've never known a song to gain such mass. Uh, popularity, such kind of uh, universal liftoff as this song. It was it was sung at Goodison on Saturday. It was then sung at Stamford Bridge the following day. Then at Crystal Palace, where the match that Liverpool were playing in. Then at Old Trafford on the Tuesday, and then at the Etihad. I've never known a song celebrating an individual player's misfortune to be taken up by so many different sets of supporters. And this is the captain of England. What is it about the captain of the English national team that English fans hate so much, Jonathan? Uh, I, I think it's probably two things there. I think it's probably the fact that Liverpool are still the rivals of many teams. A lot of teams who these fans sort of see Liverpool as a team they like to see doing badly, even after 24 years of failure. But yeah, the, the 20-odd years before that was so successful that there's still that sort of resentment, the sense that Liverpool are a team, you have to sort of make sure they stay down. And I, I guess Gerard is the embodiment of that. And also probably people sort of getting slightly sick of people like me 
um, journalists sort of going on and on about what a fantastic achievement it would be, what a great reward for, for this great player's one club career. That you know the sort of the sanctimony that occasionally gets attached to that sort of irritated enough people that when it all went wrong, um, they you know they, they they mock it. And I guess you know if if you were scripting something and you included a line in which Liverpool's captain says you know we do not slip on the pitch after a big win, and then immediately he slips. I mean the dramatic irony of that. I, I guess it you know it does sort of appeal to. To the slightly more uh, Schadenfreudistic side of us, does it does it worry you, Jonathan, to see man being wolf to man on such a mass scale? Yeah, it, it does. But this is the thing with modern football that there's there's a lot of unpleasantness and snideness that that I you know I really don't like, um, and and this is you know manifestation of that. I I, I don't know. I always think um, yeah, people who mock another team for their misfortune, unless there's a good reason for it. It always seems just a bit childish to me. I'd, I'd far rather celebrate a success than, than sort of revel in somebody's failure. Well, if only that attitude was more widespread, Jonathan, but we're going to have to leave it there. Thanks a million for joining us today. Cheers, thank you. Interesting what Jonathan had to say there about Jekyll and how important he's uh, become since Negredo's form uh, dipped. It kind of comes back to the point we were making about Pellegrini and the fact he has just these ridiculous resources. Right, well, mm. Negredo's not working out. Yeah, Let's stick bring in, going. stick the other multi-million pound uh, striker we have and if he doesn't work out then maybe Jovetic might start playing for us yeah. uh, which is whereas Liverpool know. lose Henderson and suddenly it's like they're like a bird with one wing you yeah. know <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah it's different uh, yeah it is a little different you had some um, you saw an interview with Phil Neville today Ken well look you know because we, we didn't we haven't mentioned Manchester United at all whose season also came to a moving end even though they have one more game to play mm. with the, the possibly last performance at Old Trafford of Ryan Giggs who gave a speech afterwards like an Alex Ferguson style speech um, in which he showcased his wares. You've seen the future. Manchester United, tempo, mm-hmm. aggression, youth, courage, all of those uh, those uh, abstract nouns that he would bring to the team if he was going to be the manager, which it turns out he probably is not going to be because of Louis van Gaal, who shows that he too speaks fluent Manchester united Um I hope that I shall be the manager, says van Gaal. It's the biggest club in the world and a fantastic challenge. Um, and there's talk that Van Gaal would be open to having Ryan Giggs as his assistant, which I suppose is the old Lyndon Johnson. I'd rather have him inside the tent yes, rather than You're outside the tent. Yeah. But uh, I noticed the quote here from Phil Neville. He's, he described it as his emptiest day in football. Uh, this was the experience of walking around at Old Trafford, having finished seventh in the league. Mm. And uh, sort of the, the players are applauding the fans more than the other way around. Uh, being the suggestion there. But it's been a tough few weeks for Phil Neville. Well, emotionally, hmm. it's been tough. He's been buffeted. He, well, he'd won really bad day. He had won. Well, look, what he said is, it's been a real difficult season. To see a man who, for the last nine years, has put so much faith in me, giving me a platform either to play or to coach, to see him lose his job was probably one of the toughest days that I've had in football. So, <laughs> Woke up the following morning, ah, well... No point crying over spilt milk. Bounce back ability there yeah. from, from Phil Neville. It was a He's hard been, day to see his 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 yeah. man of nine, his his uh, colleague that and man. friend of nine He's, years. Brutally He's been sacked. like a manager to me over the last nine years. Um, Ferguson Moyes have been the bedrock of my professional life. Just to, to see to see him lose his job took a while to sink in. Uh, one day, uh, apparently. Mm. But look, we move on. David Moyes has moved on. We've seen the Daily Mail's 
long uh, long lens photos of him mm. uh, on Miami Beach, uh, having dinner with his wife and so on in, in restaurants like that, talking on, this, on his telephone. He's moved on. Mm. Phil Neville's moved on. And it's looking like a big season next year at Manchester United. Yeah, well, we haven't really done a whole lot of talking about the World Cup, which is now very much appearing on our collective sporting horizons. And the home team has announced their squad. Tim Vickery joins us from Rio de Janeiro to talk about Big Phil Scolari's Brazil squad selection. Any surprises in there, Tim? Well, I think there are probably plenty of surprises if your main focus is European club football. Um, because then you'd be thinking, well, where on earth is, is Miranda? of Atletico Madrid. Where on earth is Felipe Luiz of Atletico Madrid? Where on earth is Felipe Calcin with Liverpool? But if you've been following Brazil, I don't think there are any surprises at all. In fact, no one over here can remember a less controversial Brazil call-up for, for a World Cup. Unusually at this time, there's huge controversy because there's some massive public idol who's left out. And Scolari himself compared this call-up with the one in 2002 when he had to have a whole clandestine operation and uh, actually stay in a different hotel from the one that had been announced just in order to get people shake people off his tail. This time, he could stroll down the beach absolutely unmolested because uh, the, ambi- the, the, the environment at the moment is so calm and uncontroversial, uh, of course, that only lasts until the first disappointing performance in the World Cup. What would you put that down to? I mean, is, there, is there less competition for places this time? Well, I think in, in, in one word, results. Uh, he found his blend during the Confederations Cup. He knows friendlies against England and France and then the Confederations Cup. He found his team. He found the identity of his team. Uh, won the Confederations Cup won over fans all over the country. And it was a very loaded, very heavy political environment. Uh, And that moment when the fans and the team were singing together the national anthem, when the music stopped and the players and the supporters kept on singing, there was a real bond forged there, I think, between team and terraces. Uh, And subsequent results have also been good. All of the little variations and experiments that that he's tried have worked. And his problem, I think, really with the squad was, was, uh, was who to leave out. He had to leave out uh, one or two people who've served him well over the past year or so. So that, I think, the main, is, is the main explanation. The other one is, I don't think there's, perhaps in some areas, there isn't the strength in depth. Maybe centre-forward. You'd expect a glamorous centre-forward, perhaps, to be an issue, as was uh, Romario in 2002 when Scolari left him out. But Brazil's strength in depth in that area is not particularly strong. Uh, and uh, the veterans and the likes of Kaká and Ronaldinho and so on, they simply haven't done enough to, to be knocking at the door with any great credibility. So I think you put all those things together and it all adds up to what so far is, uh, is a very calm atmosphere for Brazil's coach. How calm is he about the fact that some of the players in his squad haven't really been playing very well for the clubs? I mean, just looking, some of the names that, that leap out at me here... Um, obviously, Oscar Jose Mourinho had, had been complaining a little bit about him, suggesting maybe he'd been thinking about the World Cup since a while ago. Paulinho hasn't had a great season for Tottenham. Um, most worryingly, it has to be Neymar, surely, Tim. I mean, this guy was the inspiration of the team uh, last year. He's just been—he's been a really insipid, had a really insipid season season for Barcelona. Lots of um, off-field problems and so on. Scolari is obviously quite confident that these guys can just be completely different men when they turn up playing for Brazil. They can just com- they, they can turn it on and, uh, and, and be much more formidable players than they've been for their clubs. 
Indeed, yeah, on your question there, how concerned is he with their club form? Uh, and uh, he made it quite clear in the press conference what his answer is. He couldn't give a flying monkeys. He is totally, totally unconcerned about uh, the fact that some would say that Neymar's had a disappointing club season, that uh, some would say Paulinho's had a disappointing club season, that uh, Oscar, uh, <laughs> his form has, has fallen off. I mean, I, mean I, I, I guess thinking about it, you know, Scolari's always got to act unconcerned. But you've watched a lot of football in your time. Are, are you telling me that international form has absolutely nothing to do with the way that the players have been playing recently for, for the club? Well, I think it is a completely different collective context. Um, in, in the case of, of Neymar, for example, last time out for Brazil, um, they went to South Africa two months ago, he scored a hat-trick. Uh, and uh, one of the things that worked really, really well there was the relationship between Neymar and a back-to-goal centre-forward. Uh, it was Fredji uh, at the start of the game who laid on one of the goals for him uh, and helped lay on the other. The actual pass came from Paulinho. And then Neymar's third goal was a nod down from uh, the guy who came on for Fredji, Joe. Um, so one thing I think that Scolari could point to there is that, well, at Barcelona, Neymar doesn't play in this structure. He doesn't play in a structure that gives him a back-to-goal centre-forward to play off. Um, his only concern in terms of the form of their players is their physical condition. All of these players have done what is required for them for, for, for Brazil. Um, the key moments in the preparation will, it will be when they, uh, they all get together on May the 26th and a battery of physical tests will be carried out to judge what kind of condition they're in. That's a worry, perhaps, especially with Oscar, who is a, is a very important player for the team and has had a lot of football over recent times. And he played the World Youth Cup when he really made his name in 2011, the Olympics in 2012, the Confederations Cup in 2013, now the World Cup. So that is a concern, whether players might be jaded. But in terms of their club form, Onskolani would say that uh, the, 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 the collective context with a national team is entirely different. And if, for example, Tottenham can't get the best out of Paulinho, that's Tottenham's problem and not Scolari's problem. The one thing that I noticed about the build-up, um, Tim, you mentioned that they're meeting up on May 26th. They're only playing two friendlies, as far as they can make it, against Panama and Serbia. That really doesn't seem like a lot. That's absolutely traditional for Brazil. And they, they would, ideally, they'd probably like to play, play one or two more. Um, but uh, there isn't a lot of time. Uh, you know, ideally, they, they, they'd have liked another couple of weeks, and they, they've had a little moan about that. Um, but this is a time when they don't want to put too many demands on their players. Um, they want to ensure that the players are 100%, perhaps not even for June, for June the 12th, but by the second, third or fourth game of the tournament, then you've got the players 100% physically. And the last time Scolari was uh, in charge, the 2002 World Cup, and the, the team that they really feared in that competition was France, who were the reigning world champions. Uh, and Brazil looked on absolutely unbelievingly as a couple of days, just a few days before starting their defense of their world title, yeah. France played a high-profile friendly against South Korea, demanding opposition. Now, you might remember what happened in that game. Zidane got injured, I think, and ended up exactly. missing most of the tournament. Exactly. 
they lost him for the tournament. They, they patched him up like a kind of footballing El Cid for the third game and tried to send him out on his horse and inspire the troops. Yeah. Um, but uh, it didn't work. The same thing Brazil happened with, with Ireland and, uh, and Jason McIntyre, would you believe, Tim, in that World Cup. <laughs> right. Uh, he, he, sure was, uh, the, he was exactly butchered in a serious circ- uh, pre-World Cup friendly. Yeah, it was, a, it was a real disaster for us. And um, what did Brazil do in 2002? And a week before their opening game, they played Malaysia. After that, they'd eased off. They'd done their physical work. They'd eased off to ensure that the players were uh, as close to as, uh, as firing on all cylinders as possible when, uh, when, when the real stuff started. This is something that they're absolutely, master, they're absolutely masters at. And they look at physical preparation and the way things are done uh, in Europe and elsewhere. And, and, and they say, we're light years ahead. Just finally, Tim, I was over a couple of years ago at the Olympics in your home city of London, and I remember the build-up to this tournament as being one of this kind of old-fashioned London grumbling about pretty much every aspect of the Olympics and the zill lanes and the monstrous expenses and, and Boris Johnson being on the news all the time. And it was, it, it was just getting on, on top of people. It was too much for people. And then once the actual Olympics started and uh, Great Britain started to win medals, um, all of the grumbling completely stopped and everybody got completely carried away into, in this huge, uh, euphoric, uh, almost ecstatic mood that, that seemed to take over the country for three weeks. What kind of a uh, situation are you seeing in Brazil now with the Cup You know, next month? I mean, we're well aware of the, the problems that there were at the Confederations Cup and the anger that there is in the country. And there is an organized you know, protest movement in the country at the moment and some pretty serious political problems. Um, is there a sense yet that the the excitement of the World Cup is beginning to uh, to supersede the, the kind of mood of tension? It's still very timid. And usually what happens World Cup year is that the people get together here and they decorate their streets. It's absolutely beautiful. They're full of yellow and green bunting, street murals, and streets will compete to make theirs the, the, the most beautiful, the most striking in the neighbourhood. Really seeing very, very little of this. Um, I suspect that some of that Olympic effect will happen during the World Cup. You know, the magic of, of, of the event will bestow itself uh, and uh, um, the, the, the atmosphere will, will change a little bit during the tournament. But I also think it's not entirely comparable because no matter what happens on the pitch, and even if Brazil cruise to victory or so on, and, it, and if Brazil get eliminated, that's when the competition could really have problems. But even if everything goes perfectly according to plan on the pitch, it's not going to take away some of the anger and some of the resentment. And it's not going to alter the basic fact that this tournament has cost um, the Brazilian citizen more than it should have done and given back much less than it should have done. That anger and that resentment is still going to be there. I, know I, was in, um, got the, I got the lift in my building uh, yesterday and a distinguished old gentleman who lives in my building, he, he, he said uh, that he's going to be travelling during the World Cup uh, and that were he not travelling, he'd be joining the Black Blocks protesting. And he meant it seriously as well. So that, that, that anger, um, that's, that's still going to be there. It, it's going to be a fascinating atmosphere and one where all of the forces acting precisely the strength of them and precisely the relationship between them is almost impossible to predict. From a journalistic point of view, Ken, I think you're stepping into paradise because there's going to be so much to observe and, and absorb and try to make sense of. But the basic fact that the people are angry about, about being taken for granted and they don't think they've got a good deal from the World Cup, 
Nothing that happens on the pitch is going to change that. Tim Vickery, thanks for joining us uh, today. Thank you. I constantly need reminding that you're actually going to be over there, Kent. So mm. are you, you know, are you just going to be staying in your air-conditioned hotel room? Or are you going to, you know, to get onto the streets and put that news nose of yours to, to good use? Well, look, it's... Uh, get your hands dirty. You know, I I mean, I am going to be there, Kieran, and um, I'm I'm going on a bit of a tour. Yeah. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. You know, I'm going to try and... I'm going to try and do some journalism there. Well, that's that's all we can hope for, Ken. That, by the way, what a great Skype connection to Tim Vickery there. Extraordinary. It fills me full of hope for our yeah. <laughs> entire enterprise while you're in Brazil. He's obviously got some good Wi-Fi. I mean, I'm, if I'm you hoping... you call over to Tim Vickery's house. Actually, if you could just move in with Tim Vickery for the for the month, heck, that'll be swell. Mm. Okay, that's uh, pretty much it for Second Captain Football. Stay tuned for our second show of the day coming up a little later. You can listen via iTunes, Stitcher, or the IPP app if you're on Android. In the meantime, follow us on Twitter, at Second Captains. Thank you, Ken. And uh, we'll uh, chat to you later today with Mark Horgan in the lead anchor role. What's going is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.